I, I wanna talk to you about this idea. We hold these truths. The preamble to the Declaration of Independence makes that statement. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our founding fathers got it right that we are all created equal and we are endowed by our creator. God, we thank you for that truth this morning that you created us, that you fashioned us, and that you formed us, that no one here is accident. We are all part of your design. And God, we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And not only are we fearfully and wonderfully made by you, we are also loved by you. And let that truth sink deep into the recesses of our heart and our mind today we commit these moments to you. We commit the understanding of the word to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So God's word says this. It says that we are all created equal. It, it, that, that truth, it resonates with us, especially when we consider biblical directives like what we see in Romans 15 when it tells us this. It says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, at, the, at, the, at the hair salon getting my hair cut. And uh, I don't I, 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 I don't make an appointment. I go to one of those places where I can just check in online and show up. And so I get, you know, some random person to cut my hair. And sometimes it's the same person. Sometimes it's a different person. And, and, uh, and I happen to be having my hair cut by a new person over this place over on Edgewater Drive. And, uh, and she asked me, um, you know, my name. And she asked me what I do. And I, and I told her what I, what I, what I did. And the, the gentleman who was cutting hair in the chair next to me offered this observation. He said this, he said, you know, Christians are the most hateful, critical, judgmental, hypocritical people on the planet. And, uh, and I thought, good morning, it's great to meet you. <laughs> and and that, that statement, it, it washed over me. Right? And, and I, I, I found myself wondering, what's the genesis of this? Where, where's this? where's this coming from? In fact, in, 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 that, in that moment, I prayed one of those micro prayers. You ever do that? Right? Right. In, in the moment. God, let me know your heart. Give me wisdom for the situation. And help me to respond rather than react. Part of, my, part of my struggle there was uh, I, I felt personally accosted. I also knew on so many levels what he had just said was right. Oh, it was, uh, you want to talk about a struggle. 
And so we, we engaged in conversation as the gal was cutting my hair. And I have to tell you that by the end of the, by the, end of the conversation, the, the gentleman who made that sweeping declaration over Christianity, he said this. He said, you know, I think I'd like to come to your church. What? Why? Here's what I want you to know is, uh, and if you haven't already done so, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus, in his, in his Sermon on the Mount, he, he makes this powerful statement. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you'll be judged. And, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about a, a, a topic that here's what I know. Here's what I understand. This is going to be sensitive to so many of us here. Because if we were to be completely honest, it's an issue that on some level the, the vast majority of us deal with. We, we engage in, we, we struggle with. It, it is a part of us in large measure because of the environment that we live in. And, and, and part of it is just the overall environment, the time in history that we live in. But if we've spent much time in the evangelical Christian community, we, we've got an extra dose, an extra helping of this disposition of criticism. And, and it, it's fascinating that that's the case because it really does, it, it stands in stark contrast to to what the Word of God tells us, how the Word of God tells us that we're supposed to connect with one another, how we're supposed to view ourselves. And yet, for some reason, this, this insidious element, right, this satanic trap of a judgmental critical disposition, it, it, it really has, I think, it's influenced the church in epidemic proportion. Our, our forefathers understood that this wasn't a good thing. Thomas Jefferson made the statement, we're all created equal. Benjamin Franklin said this, he said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. Our 30th president, Calvin Coolidge, said this, if we judge ourselves only by our aspirations and everyone else only by their conduct, we shall soon reach a very false conclusion. I love that's a great statement. If, 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 we, if we judge ourselves by our aspirations or by our intentions, and we judge everyone else by their activity or their conduct, we will find ourselves quickly self-deceived. Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president, said this, I have yet to find the man, however exalted his station, who did not do better work and put forth greater effort under a spirit of approval than under a spirit of criticism. My favorite of our, of our nation's leaders, my favorite quote as it relates to this is Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt said this in 1910. It's, it's known as the man in the arena. 
And he said this, it is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit actually belongs to the man in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. The one who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again because there is not effort without error and shortcomings. But, but he who does actually strive to the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so to his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. We live in a world where unfortunately the critic has been given significant voice. We are part of a culture who has missed the reality of what God's biblical directive is for us. And instead of engaging in being salt and light, for some reason we have for generations, the church has embraced this mistaken of identity of being the morality police for the culture around us. And rather than people seeing us the way that God wants us to be seen, ambassadors of his love, ambassadors of his mercy, following God's directive that that, that gives us these imperatives such as, let no unkind words come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that those around you will listen. The honest truth is this, that for the most part in the world today, for the most part in American culture today, the church is viewed as a bunch of hateful, angry, judgmental, critical people. And the reason for this is because we are reaping what for years we have sown. Matthew 7 speaks loudly to the church today. It speaks loudly to us today. It speaks loudly to me today. Because I've lived in this world. I've embraced this culture. I am just as guilty as you are of judging those around me. Failing to embrace this truth that our forefathers understood when they said this, It is self-evident that all men are created equal. Every man, every woman, every boy and girl on this planet is created by God, loved by God, and given this amazing thing called free will. And God has called you and God has called me to live as ambassadors of his good news in the world. Not to be the morality police of what's going on in the world around us. If we look at the totality of scripture, we are called to be salt and light. To bring value and influence into the world around us. And the message of the cross has been blunted by the critical spirit of the church. Now here's what I know. I know in making that statement, I did not expect an amen, but that is an amen worthy statement, friends, because it is true. God has a better way. Can I, ma'am, can I, 
Can I offer you this? God wants you to live with joy. Sir, God wants you to have a smile on your face. God wants you to have a, a warm disposition. God wants your, when your neighbors to see you, that they'll walk across the street to talk to you, not go, oh, there's Bill again. <laughs> there's the Bible thumper. He's going to talk to me again about the number of liquor bottles that's in my recyclable bin. I don't know why the guy's always looking in my recyclable bin. Yeah. We know what you do over there with your carnal, drunken, godless parties. We, we see all the lights are off at your house on Sunday morning when we're going to church. We, we notice that you've just kind of, you've just rolled out of bed as we're getting home after going to Golden Corral. We're watching you. Here's, here's what we see from Matthew chapter 7. We know this. Number one, criticism is common. It's common. This is the reason why Jesus, in his first public, when his, in his first public sermon, as he's getting close to the end of his first public sermon, one of the things that he deals with is this judgmental disposition. Why? Because it's common. It was an issue in Jesus' day. It's been an issue since man breathed his first breath. This whole idea of, I'm going to accuse you and excuse me. I'm going to point out your faults while talking about my intentions. It, it, it's been a dilemma. It's been an issue for mankind for forever, and it forever will be. Why? Because we have to push back against this carnal nature. And part of the carnal nature is defending ourselves, and the best way to do that, it seems, we think, is to put others down. And so, criticism, criticism is common. And here's the other thing about criticism, is it's contagious. This is the reason why. God's Word says this. It says, it says, don't judge or you will be judged. Don't judge or you will be judged. One of the, one of the sure ways of, of ensuring that you're going to live in a critical environment is having a judgmental disposition. And I have found this. I have found that if I spend much time around people that are highly critical, oftentimes I'm not able to influence them so much as they're able to influence me. Now, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. The Word of God tells us, do not be mis misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And isn't it easy when you're around negative people to drift into that negative disposition, to drift into that negative mindset? Let me tell you what's wrong with our country today. Let me, let me tell you what's wrong with our world today. Let me tell you how the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Instead of talking about the fact that, here, here's, some, here's some reality. Oh, the world's getting worse and worse and worse all the time. Really, violent crime is down. Violent crime is at one of its lowest levels in decades. Unemployment. Unemployment is at one of its lowest levels in decades. Oh, the world's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. The church, the church around the world is growing faster today than it ever has in history. The only place this isn't true is in, is in North America and Western Europe. But overall, the church is experiencing its greatest explosion of growth in the history of time, friends. 
There's a revival that is sweeping the globe. We live in an amazing day. We live in an incredible day. And there is a, an awful lot of good that's happening. And I will tell you this, this, this latest generation, the, these te- the, 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 the folks that are teens and early 20s, the amount of compassion that they have is off the charts. My daughter, who is somewhere, somewhere in, on campus this morning, uh, my daughter, early 20s, if my daughter had the choice of buying a, a $50 pair of shoes for herself or buying a $60 pair of shoes, that, that puts a pair of shoes on her and a pair of shoes on somebody that has no shoes. She has no problem spending the $60. Now, it's a lot easier because it's my money, but, but she has no problem doing that. Our, our children are not nearly as selfish as we are. We live in an amazing time. We live in an amazing day. The unfortunate thing is the most, the most uh, active voice is the critical voice. And criticism is contagious. Not only is it contagious, it crushes our testimony. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing? And without hesitation, here's what he offers. The most important thing is to love God with everything that you are to love God and and not just to love God but to love your neighbor to love your neighbor as yourself he says all the law all the prophets are all wrapped up in that to demonstrate God's love as we live in his love. And and here's what happens. When we put ourselves in a place where we're loving God with all that we are, with all that we have, with all that we hope to be, with all that we hope to, to become, what it does is it settles our spirit. It, it brings comfort and confidence to our mind. And we're able to breathe. Because when we have this, this dynamic connection with God, what we, what we understand is this, is that he is our protector, that he is our provider, that he is our comfort, that he is our strength, that he is our pride and our boast. We come to this realization that love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. It keeps no record of wrongs. It always protects, it always perseveres, and it never fails. And that's God's disposition towards us. That's God's expression towards us. And that's supposed to be our expression towards others. Well, pastor, what about all the sin in the world? I get it. When Jesus interacted with different people, he he didn't pretend 
that they didn't have false failure shortcomings. But he also didn't camp on it. And somehow we've, we've, we've lost the understanding of, dif- of differentiating between acceptance and approval. Let me say that again because I, I want it to sink in deep. We've lost the ability to dif- differentiate between acceptance and approval. And, and here's what Romans 15 tells us. We are to accept one another then. And we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. This is what it says as well there in that portion of Romans. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And, and we do this not to please ourselves. We do this to benefit the other person, to, to, to build them up. It's fascinating to me that when Jesus talked with a woman at the well, and he pointed out to her that she had been married five times and the man that she was currently living with wouldn't give her his name. That that happened in such a way that the woman wasn't defensive about it. It was as if she had this epiphany. This man knows everything about me. And yet he still accepts me. He still has this desire to to engage in meaningful dialogue with me. It's at that point in the conversation that it goes from surface to deep, right? When Jesus points out to the woman at the well that she is living with a man that's not her husband, she's been married five times, it's at that point she says, I can see that you're a prophet. In other words, I can see that you're an ambassador from God. And so I I have this question about worship. What's the right way to worship? And, And this woman that was the social outcast of her community, she would come to the well in the heat of the day to avoid the criticism and the gossip of the other women of her village. Jesus reveals to her that he is the Messiah. I think that's amazing. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's, that's it. Everything else is tied into that. So, okay, pastor. So, I'm sitting here and, and here's what I recognize. I recognize more than I'm comfortable with, I've got a critical spirit. I'm a judgmental person. I judge my coworkers. I judge my family. I judge my friends. I judge the church. What do I do about it? Well, the answer is it's right here in Matthew 7. 
First of all, Jesus starts out in Matthew 7, 1 telling us that we have to reject the urge to criticize. Do not judge or you will also be judged. Here's how it says it uh, in Luke's gospel. It says this, do not judge or you, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, a great place to start is by asking the question, in my expression to others, what measure am I using? Do I start with grace or do I start with judgment? Do I start with love or do I start with criticism? Do I compare and make it a morality contest between me and you? Or do I endeavor to see you as God sees you? Do you know before you were fashioned in your mother's womb, God knew you? Before the foundations of the world, he understood what your journey would be and yet created you and loved you in spite of your faults, your failures your short-sightedness and your shortcomings. And not only did God love you, but called you to be an active participant in his kingdom and appointed you to be an ambassador of his love. That's amazing to me. God, that you would choose me as messed up as I am. And not surprised by it. God knows the stupid thing that I'm going to do tomorrow and yet he still lets me stand up here and talk to you today. That's amazing to me. And make no mistake, I will do something stupid tomorrow. I may tell you about it later. Here's my, here's my, here's my the thing that I really work at is that if I do something stupid, I tell you about it and you don't see it on the news. Right? Because that's when you know you've gone really far off the rails. But I, I, I have to, here's what I have to recognize, that I don't have to do anything to develop a critical spirit. I don't. I, I, don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything to develop a critical spirit because it comes from within, right? It's this monster that, that lives within. And so I have to reject the, the urge to criticize. It is the, it's, it's, it's part and parcel. It's, 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 it's connected to this issue that is my human nature or uh, what you'll hear sometimes in the church world called the carnal nature. It then, this fact that it's, that it's, it's, it, it originates within us and recognize that a critical spirit or a critical disposition is contagious because we live in this environment where criticism finds synergistic energy, we have to be intentional about not walking in an ever-increasing critical nature. We have to reject the urge to criticize. 
As, as believers, our, our words and our lives are to reflect God's grace. We are supposed to give grace to others instead of the grief that comes from the critical spirit. I, I mentioned this scripture earlier. I want to mention again, Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up or edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. I've got, to, I've got to reject the urge to criticize it. And one of the ways that I reject the urge to criticize is by finding connection points or relating to those around me. That's what Matthew 7, 3 says. It says this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, now obviously, when Jesus makes this statement, he's making this over the top, even somewhat hilarious statement, right? Big plank, big telephone pole sticking out of your eye. And here's, here's what he says. He said, in, in, in essence, he's saying this, that you're looking for fault in others, when your fault is so obvious. And so, when I see the fault in you, Marvin, when I see the fault in you, rather than condemning you, it should be a reminder that we're both human, right? That we walk in this imperfection. When, when I when I see your, your, your struggle, when I, when I see, Lou, when I see the challenges that you face, rather than going, that Lou, man, he's, he's got problems. Instead, it, it should remind me of the, the grace that God demonstrates towards, towards you and me. Perfection is reserved for God alone. One of the things that happens and one of the ways that the enemy keeps us bound is this. We'll come into a church environment and, and we, know, we know full well how we struggled during the course of the week. We, we know the areas where we, where we really fell short. And we'll walk in and we'll have this, we'll this two-pronged battle that's going on. First of all, we walk into a room like this and we go, if these people knew what I was really like. So what I've got to do is I've got to be very careful to project the right image rather than be honest about who I am. Because if they knew me for who I really was, they would probably kick me out of the church. And, and then the, what comes along beside that is, who do these people think they are? You know what? I bet these people are just as messed up as I am. And, and there, there are two things that I want you to know today, okay? You might want to write this down. You are in a room with a bunch of imperfect people. In fact, in a few moments, I'm going to encourage you to come to the altar. Ladies, when you come to the altar, don't leave the person in your, in your, in your seat, okay? Because see that person behind you? You need to look at them and say, stay out of my purse. Why? Because we're a bunch of imperfect people. And we're just, we're on this, we're on this journey together of growing in our understanding of, of who God is. As, as, I, as I stand here on the platform and as I look out today, I do not see a single halo. Not one. Now here's, here's what I know. When you look up on the platform, you don't see a halo up here either, right? So 
He who has begun a good work in us will continue that work until its day of completion. We're all a work in progress. And, and here's what I ask. Don't judge the masterpiece that God is creating in me until he's done. Don't do it. By the way, God, I'm not going to judge the masterpiece that you're creating in me until it's done. Don't be so hard on yourself. God's not finished with you yet. View yourself with a measure of grace. View others with a measure of grace. A little bit later in that same chapter of Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us this. It says that we're supposed to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, that we're supposed to forgive one another. Just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. See, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to be kind and tenderhearted for you, forgiving you just as God forgave me. Well, how has God forgiven me? God has forgiven everything that I have done. God has forgiven all of the wrongs that are currently in my life, and God has forgiven every wrong that I will do going forward. God has already forgiven the wrong that you will do tomorrow. He paid the price for tomorrow's failures at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And so, he allows us to live in grace. See, so much of what fuels this critical spirit is a, is a defensive reaction to the concern of how people will perceive us because of our own faults and failures, our own shortcomings. And so one of the big ways to be set free from this issue of critical spirit is to release my hurts, my faults, my issue, my junk to God. God, I thank you that I can come to you just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. And, and when that happens, it allows me to live a life that is, that is free from hypocrisy. Do you know what it means to be a hypocrite? To be a hypocrite means to be an actor. That's what it means. Oftentimes when we hear that word hypocrite, we want to say, I'm not a hypocrite. But being a hypocrite means being an actor. Putting on a show. Making believe. So what does that look like? Hey, brother, how you doing? God bless you. I'm, I'm doing great. We're getting better. And in reality, 
I've got such pressure on my job that it's overwhelming. But in this situation, because I don't know you well enough, I don't know if I can trust you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to put on a little act. That's what in the pure sense of the word, that's what hypocrisy means. So, so when Jesus says that in Matthew 7, when he says, you hypocrite, here's what he's saying. You actor, you pretender. I think this, I think that for a large part of my Christian journey, I think I, I think I was a really horrible actor. I think I chose bad roles. And I gave people a very different impression of me than what is, what is right. And really, a very different impression of me than that I think God wanted me to give. For a long time in my Christian journey, I was a massive contributor to the judgment that the church now faces today. As a pastor, I live in a culture where I am reaping what I sowed in my earlier years. When I first started out in ministry, it was a really cool thing to be a pastor. When I first started out in ministry, when people in the community would hear that you were a pastor, they would go, oh, that's wonderful. Today, when people hear that I'm a pastor, it's, it's about 50-50. Well, it's about 50-50 positive negative. It's, it's about equally split three ways of how they respond to me. Um, and about a third of the people go, so what do you do for a living? Well, I'm, I'm a pastor. Oh. Right? So... I love it when I'm sitting beside them on a plane because now all of a sudden they're looking for a magazine. They're looking for something. They're wanting to press the flight attendant call button. You know. Oh my goodness, I sat by a pastor. What? I'm, they, they're in full on panic. 90% of the time that happens, by the time we finish the flight, we're praying together. But that, that initial freak out, right? One third of the people go, I've got an opportunity for a personal confessional. Can I, can, let me, can I, can I, can I ask you a question? Can I talk to you about something? <laughs> right? And then one third are, oh, so you think you're better than me. Let me tell you what's wrong with the church. Right? And I'll get an earful of, you know. If you're not getting in my pocket. I never imagined when I first started in ministry, I never imagined that we would be um, in America, that the church would be culturally where it's at today. 
And yet, here's, here's what I'm 100% convinced of. I'm 100% convinced that it's not so much that our world has changed. It's that the church, we're, we're reaping what we sowed for so long. Being this negative, nasty, judgmental morality police force. Instead of living what Jesus called us to live, and that's to be salt and light in the world around us. I'm also equally, equally convinced this. I'm equally convinced that we have an opportunity in 2018 to change the narrative. It's going to take time. But what we've got to do is we've got to sow new seed. In, in the relationships that you have with your children, in the relationships that you have with your coworkers, in the relationships that you have with your neighbors, in the relationships that you have with your friends or former friends, we have to start sowing new seed. We have to stop sowing seed of judgment because when we sow seed of judgment, what happens is we, we get judgment back and because we're imperfect, and if our goal is to, is to point out the imperfections of the people around us, that's what comes back to us. And because we're imperfect, it's pretty easy for people to point out our faults and our failures. I, uh, I belong to Planet Fitness. And Planet Fitness has this, they have a couple of things. Number one, they have this, this deal. They want everyone to feel like they belong, right? And so they have this bell that you can ring. So if somebody is like lifting up weights and making a big show of themselves and dropping the weights, they have a bell that you can ring, right? Because they don't want lunkers in Planet Fitness. They want everybody to feel comfortable, right? Because many of us have walked into that, that gym and we walk in and there's all these guys that are just brutes, right? And uh, you've seen it, the guy that'll walk up to the, to the, to the, to the weight set, and he's like, all right, all right, I'm gonna, ah, right? And you're like, oh, I, I gotta go. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to walk on the treadmill a little bit. <laughs> this is not my world, right? I'm really frightened. <laughs> so Planet Fitness came up, this is not a commercial for Planet Fitness, but Planet Fitness came up with this idea, a judgment-free zone. So I want my home, I want my life, I want my church to be a place where when people come in, they're not freaked out by our crazy Christian expression. And they're able to, to connect with Jesus for who he really is. Because the way to recalibrate the moral compass of a people is let them fall in love with Jesus. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit can change a person's trajectory in an instant.
if you're here this morning and, and there's some conviction happening for you, okay, regarding this issue of being judgmental, being critical, I want you to know you're not alone. Because there are men and women that are all across this room today that they're, they're feeling that, that same gentle prick of the Holy Spirit saying, this is for you. And, and, and this has the potential to be a defining moment for you. That rather than living your life in anger and being hypercritical of the people around you, I want to change your disposition. I, I, I want to I shift your outlook. I want to reshape your testimony. And God's speaking to that, pe- to that people all over the room this morning. Not, not just you. And you're in a place that is a, a judgment-free zone. There are a lot of you that are new to Calvary. And some of you, some of you, when you told your friends that you were starting to attend Calvary, they said, really? Really, you're going to that church? And I I understand that. I can can appreciate that. Because I I, I understand that... (laughs) the narrative of what a church is about, it's so easy for that to get hijacked. But it's time for us to tell a new story. It's time for us to sow differently. It's time for you to live in deliverance from that critical disposition and to walk in the joy and the grace and to see yourself and the world around you as Jesus sees it. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.